0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to uh, look at the beginning of Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. There's Bibles in the back if you want one, or we should have uh, Scripture on the screen. Um, We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 39... And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read the passage, and then we're going to ask for God's help again. The reason we pray so much is just because um, we're all just a bunch of goofs, and we need God's help. So I'm going to read, and then we're going to ask for God's help, and then we're going to take a look at this together. So this is potentially a familiar passage for you about the Christmas story. So verse 39 in Luke chapter 1. And remembered his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary exclaimed, "Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. "Fathers, we look at your story tonight about Jesus and his birth, we ask that you would give us your spirit because we need maybe this is a familiar passage for some, maybe this is new for others, and we need your help." Regardless of where we are, we need your help to see Jesus clearly. So, would you help us tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are for Christmas this year, we're just doing, um, we're going to do four sermons. The fourth one's going to be with River of Grace. We're doing a series on the song uh, called Songs for the Savior. And the reason we're doing this series called Songs for the Savior is because in the first two chapters of the book of Luke, there are four songs. Um, about Jesus when Jesus shows up. And so um, to begin with, I totally stole this idea from somebody else. And then secondly, there's all these songs about Jesus. Um, and just like when uh, you think about a musician, um, so just to be honest, I, do, I, I listen. This is a, a safe and welcoming environment. <laughs> I will confess, I listen to Taylor Swift a decent amount, and if you listen to Taylor Swift, you know that like three of her albums are all breakup songs, right? So, like, um, so you know that like breakup songs are a big deal for her. Um, If you uh, listen to Coldplay, you know it's like going to be big, sweeping, epic songs. Um, If you like Alice Cooper, you know that Alice Cooper is going to be a big theatrical performance. Uh, And I'm not really—is anybody here at country music? Is that your thing? You can confess that that's like your thing if you're into country music. And I'm not... Country music is not my thing. But, you know, you, you lose your dog, you lose your girl, and you lose your house or your truck. I, it's a funny joke. If you play it backwards, you get your truck back, get your house back, get your girl back. Anyhow, um, so you listen to music, and you get these, th- these themes of what's important to people. What are they about? What are they like? And so when we're looking at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see these four songs about Jesus... Um, and so they kind of help us get a sense of what's important about Jesus. What is Luke trying to tell us about Jesus? What is, in effect, what's the spirit of Christmas that we're trying to get into? So we have a song by Mary. Um, we have a song by Zachariah, an old dude in the beginning that we didn't look at, but he's going to sing later on. We had a song from the angels. You know, we have uh, the song we have, a worship song we sing about angels. And then there's a song by Simeon, another old dude. And the end of the story. So each of these songs are about a particular theme. Uh, Mary's song is about joy. Zechariah is about God's salvation. The angel's story is all about glory. And then Simeon's song is all about fulfillment of God's promises. And so tonight, we are going to be looking at Mary's song. So we just read this song, and we are going to be looking at this more intentionally. And Mary is going to be helping us look at the topic of joy. So, what is what is joy? I mean, we talk a lot about it at Christmas time. I don't know, um, and we talk about joy at the end of the year. Talk about Christmas spirit. Talk about joy of uh, the gift of giving, giving gifts. Uh, we talk about the special joy of seeing children getting gifts on Christmas morning. Um, what is it about joy that we want to keep talking about? We sing songs, "Joy to the World." So, what is what is joy? Um, often it seems like to me when we kind of look at the kind of the Christmas narrative or the Christmas uh, stuff going on uh, around, uh, joy is just kind of basically believing, right? Um, I don't know if you have uh, seen the Polar Express, the movie um, I'm not going to give away the ending, but you should know the story if you haven't seen it. But the whole story is about um, believing has like this magic quality to it, right? Like believing something like, oh, there's like magic in believing. Or like Macy's on uh, in New York, you have this big sign that says believe. And there's like this magic of believing, right? Like it's Like it has like a magical quality and just simply believing. And that's going to give you joy. It's going to satisfy you. There's like some magic about believing that it is... Filling, filling us up with joy. And whenever I see this sort of sign, I'm always like, believing what? Like, what are you believing? What are you believing in? And Mary, I think Mary's story here helps drive us into or helps us understand what exactly is true joy? What is, what is the nature of joy? What, how do we have true joy? Because here at the end of the year, maybe you are reflecting on why you don't have joy. Maybe joy is fleeting, maybe joy seems elusive, maybe you are not happy, maybe there are things that you want that you don't have, and here we come to the end, of the, story, at the end of the year, and I think Mary helps us see that true joy comes from trusting the promise-keeping God. True joy comes from trusting the promise-keeping Savior. So it's not just that belief comes from magical things, but actually comes from a person, promise-keeping Savior. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, and um, it seemed, just kind of uh, breaking this passage up in three points, we're just going to be looking at what does it mean to have true joy, that true joy comes from trusting the promise-keeping Savior. So how do we get this joy from trusting Him? Let's look at verse 39, we're just going to start out by seeing that the Savior brings joy to the world. So, here's a story we are picking up, kind of like in the middle of it. I know that, you know, I'm the one who chose this passage, and so I kind of chose for us to start in the middle of this story. But what's been going on is that um, God has been silent in the history of the time. God had been silent and not said anything to his people for 400 years. And then, Zechariah, who was from the the Levites, he was a priest, and he was chosen um the, the so in the nation of Israel it's kind of like if you had like the United States and you had like we're just going to say the entire state of New Hampshire is where all uh the politicians are going to come from and then all of the the people who work in congress are going to come from the hillsborough or so, you know you, you kind of like you have like just designated places where people get their jobs from so he was one of those guys from the place of from the from the people of uh, the Levites and so he was chosen to go in and do a special worship service before God and an angel shows up and says Zechariah I know you're old and that both of you guys have no kids and you're way old like like nothing's happened like no kids but God's going to give you a baby Zechariah is like I don't believe you and so God says well okay so you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born Okay, so that's kind of the story leading up to this. And so, is uh, Zachariah's wife is Elizabeth, and so she is old, like probably for the time, this would be old, fifty to sixty, you know, past the age where she could have had a baby. But she was um, suddenly pregnant. And Mary has a similar thing happen, but Mary, who's you know what, fifteen to twenty years old, she believes God, and so Mary uh, believes God. Where Zachariah, the old guy who knew the Bible, didn't believe God. And so Mary goes to visit Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. And so that's where this story picks up. So verse 39: In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped or leapt in her womb. So here we have Mary is going, so Mary, you have to understand, Mary would have been in her, you know, what, mid to late teens, and she is now, she's single, so she's not married, and God comes to her and says, you're going to have a baby. Uh, I'm not sure what you would experience, but I'm not exactly sure that her first inclination is to be like, yay, (laughs) this is really great. Um is scary at the time. It would have been very dangerous for her, but she goes, and I can only assume that she goes in joy to Elizabeth. And here she goes and walks into the front door, and Elizabeth is like a joy party, like all over the place, right? Like Elizabeth has this baby that she wasn't expecting to have. She's carrying this baby, but the baby's all like jumping out of out of its skin. Like, here comes Mary with carrying baby Jesus, right? She is going nuts, but the reason why she is all excited and joyful and why John is all so excited and joyful, is not because suddenly, like Elizabeth is like pregnant after all these years. because right here's Elizabeth, you imagine her story. She probably got married, young, and she's probably in her 60s. So there's probably like 50 years of like wanting to have a baby. All of her friends and relatives around her, probably having babies, getting what they want. And here she is, 50 years, not seeing God's blessing in her life. Not seeing a baby that she's wanted. Not seeing what she has desired. And yet, God is the one who comes to her and Zechariah, and he is the one who says to her, I know who you are. And in verse 6, he says, you're blameless before me. Like I know who you are. You have lived in a way that honors me. Which I think is helpful to, for us to see, because here, though by all outward appearances, Zechariah and Elizabeth would not have been like the ideal candidates for saying, like they're like the poster childs of God people, right? Like they don't have the big family, they don't have all the blessings that you would expect, they don't have potentially all the prosperity that you would expect. But here, God looks at them and says, "I know who you are in your heart, and I care about you. I know who you are." And you please me. And so, I think when Elizabeth and John the Baptist, John the little baby in her womb, are leaping for joy, it's not because suddenly there's a baby around. But it's because Jesus is in front of them. It's because they are looking at what God is doing in Jesus. They are excited about what God is doing in Jesus, And this begins actually, so John the Baptist later is going to be the one who kind of uh, goes before Jesus and is like his announcer, right? He goes before him and says, the Son of God is coming, be reconciled to God, repent and believe in God. And John the Baptist is actually beginning his ministry before Jesus, announcing who he is. And what it means is that what Jesus does when he comes in the world, he's bringing joy because suddenly God is doing something to heal people. To save them, to reconcile them, reconcile us, and it's unexpected. So let's pick back up in verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So this is not just kind of like your ordinary like Facebook post. hey, we're expecting <laughs> right like this is a this is a big deal for her, but it's not on account of her being pregnant with a baby. it's on his, it is because specifically of who she is talking about. right She is spirit filled, she's filled with the Holy Spirit whenever uh, the Holy Spirit um, fills people or shows up in the book of Luke or in the book of Acts. He is always uh, revealing something about Jesus. He is always pointing people to Jesus. He is always guiding people in Jesus. So so here we have uh, the Holy Spirit showing up, who is going to show up again in uh, this Christmas narrative, pointing, as a big finger, Jesus. He is coming. He's God's special son. This is something unique. Pay attention. So... Her response is to be full of joy, pointing to Jesus and saying, not only are you just kind of like, is it really exciting that you're carrying a baby? Like, this is, this is great news. But it's specifically, she looks at him, she looks at her and says, you are carrying, verse 43, my Lord. So there is something about what the Spirit does in her life, in her heart, to say Jesus is a unique, this baby that Mary is carrying, is unique. He's different. He is my Lord. He is the object of God's special work. He is the one that is going to be bringing God's special work in the world. He is the one that is going to be fulfilling God's promises. And it is unexpected that God would do this. God, God's work in her, God's work through Jesus is unexpected because by all, by all accounts, God's been silent for 400 years. Why would God show up now of all times, but God chose to show up through their lives, to show up then. And so she says in verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So here she turns to Mary. She says, blessed are you. So this is actually the first, do you know what a beatitude is? A beatitude is the way of happiness. It's just a, it's a, commandment about this is the this is what a happy life is. And this is the first beatitude in the Gospel of Luke. It says, you're blessed for believing that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to you. Mary, when you believed what God said to you, when you trusted in him, it's the way of happiness. God gives you joy. God blesses you. You are Living a happy life when you trust God to, to fulfill what he said. The first beatitude, it, it, is, it is this invitation to a life of joy and trusting a God who fulfills what he says he's going to do. It's, it's, it's a life of looking at God and saying, God, the things around me do not make sense. I don't know why things are hard. I don't know why things are desperate. I don't know why things are difficult but I believe that you will fulfill what you've said. I believe that you are a God that when you say something, you mean it and you're going to fulfill it. And you're going to do it. God, I believe that you are going to do this. Mary believes even in the difficulty and desperation. She trusts God. I feel like I'm learning this a lot these days of like in the desperate situations. God, what are you doing? I don't know what's going on. God, why why is this going on in such and such a person's life? Why why are these decisions being made? Why are you seeming to adjust my expectations? Why are you not doing what I want to see happen? Why are you doing things this way? I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what situations you find yourself in where you're desperate for God to help you, where things are difficult, where things are a trial, where things don't make sense. But Mary here, you know, the reality is that God only, it, through the whole story of the Bible, God is always working through desperate situations. Like, the, when God shows up and does things, it's always because people are at their wit's end and at the end of their story, right? Like, they can't figure out what the next step is. They're confused. They're desperate. And that's when God shows up. When God, When God works, he works in such a way that we know... There ain't nothing that I had to do with this, right? Like there's no like smart plan that I put together. There's no like, like special regimen that I got together. Uh, God was the one who did this. And Mary trusted in God in a desperate situation. God, you're saying we're going to have a baby and I'm not going to get killed. And that um, this baby's going to bless the world. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you for it. We can trust God we are We can trust a promise keeping God because He not only blesses us but when we trust him he he gives us joy right it It makes us happy because we're leaning on God, He kind of created everything. He can control things we can trust him for what the days ahead are going to look like where does your where does your joy come from? Does your joy come from looking and trusting in the things around you, the people that you can see? the family that uh, makes sense? What causes you to, to look downward or to be concerned about your life? What feels like it won't change? You can, God's invitation to us is say, look, I'm, I'm a God who, who fills on my promises. I, I, I keep my word. You can trust him. You can look to God and say, God, I need you to help me. And he says, I got it. I can take care of you. And he fills us with joy when we look to him, when we look to Jesus and not our circumstances and trust in Jesus to help us and not not the things around us that make sense. But it's not just looking at Jesus. It's specifically things about Jesus that we need to look to. So Mary helps us picking up in verse 46, the Savior reveals the character of God. So verse 46 Mary, so Elizabeth shows Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth is there. Responds, "This is crazy. This is great. The mother of my Lord is here." And so the Mary breaks out in her rock ballad. Verse 46 and Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior." For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So that verse, beginning, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does that mean? I think I think what that means, it's... Uh, so to magnify, like to put something under a magnifying glass to make it clear. Um, but I think that her, what she, when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, I think she's saying is, my soul looks more clearly at God for delighting in him. I take, I take deep joy in seeing God clearly. And this is what I see about him, right? So she's looking at God. She's delighting in God. She's saying, God, I get my joy from You, you, for who you are because of who you are and what you're doing. So what uh, does she see about God? So the first thing, there's kind of three things that we see that she's seeing about God that she's delighting in. First is that she sees, verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, God, uh, God as her Savior means that God is uh, doing something to help her where nothing else will, will change things, right? Saving her, like when you save... Um, I mean, I guess maybe when we think about saving, we think of like saving like a document on our computer, like we're going to save it for later. But like when you save somebody like from like drowning, like that's God is my savior. He he rescues me from desperation. Um, and actually, we're, there's a lot that uh, that God does to sh- to to tell all these stories about how He is a savior. Um, he is our savior in the Bible. We're going to be looking at that uh, in January. We're going to be starting. A series on um, the book of Exodus because the book of Exodus is a great story about how God takes us out of death and darkness. So whatever whatever your um, addictions or darkness or the, the things about you that you just can't seem to change, the book of Exodus is actually a great map to look at because it shows how God takes us out of those things and, and gives us himself and gives us a way of life with him. Right? So the book of Exodus is is all about how God is our savior. We're going to be looking at that in January. So that's just a little plug for January. We look at the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at that more. But here, Mary just kind of says shorthand, my soul rejoices in God, my savior. God is the one who he didn't have to. I didn't ask him to, but he promised to be my savior. And he came and he is doing it now. He is saving me. So, true joy, we see again here in Mary's life. True joy comes from trusting in the promise keeping Savior. He promised to help. And he shows up and he's helping. He's saving her. He's pulling her out of the despair of is life ever going to change? And here he's sending Jesus and life is going to big time change, right? <laughs> change for her, change for the rest of us. Second thing we see, verse 48. He looks on the humble estate of his servant or you could say humble estate of his maid servant right so there's this little he looks on the humble which is to say that God is gracious he doesn't have to stoop down he doesn't have to get down like um if you imagine like a child like you don't have to like get down on your hands and knees to play with them or talk to them but God gets down and stoops down to to talk at our level God is God is gracious, and the way, one of the specific ways that we see this here, and maybe like for our modern uh, values, we kind of miss it. But at the time, uh, like women, uh, and the culturally speaking, women were kind of like way, way, way down the list of like second class citizens, right? So like that's not a, that's not a, something the Bible teaches, uh, but it's what the culture believed. Like women were way down on the cultural value list. And, uh, but God is coming and specifically talking to her. And not only does it just happen here, but uh, actually through the whole book of Luke, the people that God talks to the most are all like the outcasts, the misfits, the people who um, don't fit in other places. They're the ones that are kind of like the low, low, culturally low-end people, the people that uh, aren't the, the, uh, the models on Gap magazine, right? Or Gap ads, you know? like God goes and talks to the people who don't fit that... That uh, picture. Um, So we see that here, where God is stooping down and talking specifically to Mary, He's engaging her because she is of great value to God. God loves her. Now, this isn't anything of like um, so like you have like with the Catholic Church where they talk about like you know Mary is kind of like this like venerated figure right next to Jesus. That's not what's going on here. This is all about Jesus. It's all about who He is and how He is like special. But it's not saying anything like Mary is now kind of like the special class of person beyond us. Like this is uh, Mary uh, is actually kind of effectively like we're supposed to identify with Mary in this story because just like Mary, we are the people uh, that don't um, we don't have like the easy pass in life. Like we don't we don't get the, uh, the easy ticket. And Mary had a lot of things going against her, but she recognized that God didn't have to show up. But God did. He chose to come to her specifically. God loves uh, the outcasts, and we see this again and again in the story where it's not the people who have it all together, who are smart, who have all the money and resources, but it's actually the people who are have nothing to offer God, and God loves to use them. And then the third thing that Mary Mary's responding to is that uh, verse forty nine. He's a God who acts, for he has my, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Because God is showing up and fulfilling His promises. He is. He's made a promise. I'm going to save. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to restore. I'm going to make all things new. And here he is showing up in this really profound and odd way where he is uh, showing his strength by, for Mary, in Mary's situation, he's creating a baby out of nothing, right? He is creating a new life in her um, that is a new creation, right? It is, it's a human, it's baby Jesus, but he's starting all things new. And he is, uh, He is doing things all on his own to show his own strength. Uh, One of the images that comes to mind when I think about um, people who are really strong but can do, uh, but love to be tender is uh, I don't know if you ever see, like, I don't know why uh, Russians come to mind on this. So if you're Russian, there's no know the slam, but I think because a friend of mine was Russian, just these big hulking dudes, just like huge, like massive, like probably like in the mafia type guys, you know, but they just like turn into like little like bears when they hold like a little baby. You know, he's a huge, massive dude, but he just loves... Playing with the baby. Maybe because I have a baby of my own right now. But um, God's, God is like that where he, he comes near to us. And his, when he fulfills his promises, it has nothing to do with anything that we bring to the table. But he is strong and he can just do it immediately out of nothing. Right? All of God's promises are coming true. And Mary and Elizabeth, they didn't do anything. God just showed up and said, I'm doing something now. And I'm going to use you. Uh, that, is, that is the character of God when he graciously loves to respond to us. But it's not just that, um, it's not just, as, so if you're reading this and you're maybe paying attention that Mary's saying this and it's all like her experience of God, right? I'm responding to, Jesus, the, to this marvelous work of God, what God's doing, and, um, but it's all like in me terms, right? It's all like about Mary's response but we're actually invited into the same experience of joy that Mary has because anybody who trusts in Christ, um, anybody who trusts in Christ experiences the same joy that she had, right? Ephesians 1, verse 3, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is a happy God who loves to bless us and give us joy because he loves to, to create Um, a place of joy, right? And Mary, Mary's joy, the, the joy that she's experiencing, this my soul magnifies the Lord, this experience of seeing who God is and delighting in him is not unique just to her. It's anybody who looks to Jesus and trusts in him. They experience the same joy. They experience the same sight of who God is. They know who he is. And with Mary looking to Jesus for our life and hope and help, that is how we get the same joy that she has. So how do you, how do you see God? I don't know, maybe, you, maybe, uh, maybe you've had a, a lot of difficulty and struggle, and it just feels like God is flicking you, or God's ignoring you, or God's forgotten you. Maybe you um, have a difficulty seeing God as, as being kind to you, and I wonder if this, this uh, Christmas season is, a, is an invitation to see God again, to see him as kind, loving you, wanting to, to help you, to renew you. To, he knows the difficulty of what you're walking through, but he, he has the power here, what we're looking at, to fulfill his promises not only um, about Jesus, but specifically in your life change you, to heal you, to help you. Because if Mary is saying this, who is kind of like the way outcast of the culture at the time and saying, no, God specifically knows me. I think people of Manchester, New Hampshire, who are not exactly on the center road of the cultural uh, freight of the world, uh, we can look to God and say, God, you know me, help me. I need to see you more clearly. So maybe this Christmas season is an invitation for you to see God more clearly. Maybe it's uh, reading through the Gospel of Luke to see God loving you specifically. Um, If you want a specific book to read, talk to me, talk to Bill. Bill's going to have some great suggestions as well. I would love to help you to see God afresh, to see who he is, get to know him personally. And so let's look at the last half of of Mary's uh, song because she goes from talking personally to going talking corporately. So picking up in verse 41, the Savior turns everything upside down. So here we have verse 41. He has shown his strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. You see, uh, there's these surprising reversals of what you'd expect for the way God would act. Like the way we would expect God to act is, typically we expect the people who have their lives together, um, who know what they're doing, who are smart, collected, they're the ones that you might expect God to use. But God, we're seeing here, he, he scatters the proud... So the people who are uh, the Ivy League and the thoughts of their hearts, God scatters them. People who have got the best strategies of how to put their lives together, who have read all of their Facebook posts and have got all the apps on their phone and have got their regimen of life put together. God does not look to them for how to accomplish what he wants to do. Those who have got the, the, the best strength, um, the biggest military industrial complex that they could possibly have, or the best physical, uh, physical physique. He doesn't look to them for how he can accomplish what he wants to do. Uh, those who have the most resources and money. Uh, God does not look to them to figure out how he's going to make something happen, right? Uh, God, when he acts, he does it on his own. And he looks to use the people that make, it, make sure that it's known that he is the one that's calling the shots. He looks to the outcasts, the people who are poor. People who are weak. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's me, thankfully. I am just a total idiot. I need God's help. People who can't uh, do anything for themselves so that when God promises something, he fulfills it, right? So we just had this presidential election and I'm not going to get into any of the politics related to that, but as a statement of fact, every politician always makes promises that they never fulfill. They always say, I'm going to do this when I get into office and does it ever happen? No, it never happens. I mean, unless you're watching the West Wing or watching some fictional TV show where it happens every time. He says he's going to do something, it's going to happen. But in reality, politicians promise, I'm going to do something, and it doesn't happen. Or it happens in a way that isn't exactly what you were expecting. Or it doesn't happen maybe half the way you were hoping for. But when God promises something, it happens at 10,000 more than what you were expecting. Because he does it in his own way does it in his own power, and he does it so that he is the one who gets the glory and that you get to know God. <laughs> right? he, gets the, he is the one who does it all on his own and he does it so that you know that it's him calling the shots. He's the one who does it all so that there, in verse 54, in remembrance of his mercy because he is the one who remembers to have mercy on us. We don't make God have mercy on us We don't say, hey, God, you know, you said you're going to have mercy. He's the one who remembers to have mercy on us. He doesn't pay out what we deserve. He gives us his grace. Because what's happening here, this reversal, the people who are strong are going to be made weak, the people who are weak are going to be made strong, all this great upside-downness of what's going on in Christmas, that's what happens when Jesus is born. And in his life, the people that should be um, forgotten are the people that he remembers. The people that uh, should be left in ignorance are the people that he goes to teach and love. And the people like us that should be forgotten by God for our sin and rejection of God. He's the one that he dies, that he dies for. We're the ones that he goes through the cross, so he's the one that takes our place before God the reversal of what's going on, this upside down things happening that shouldn't be happening. So way God works, because in the cross, Christ takes on the place of our sin. He he says, the people who should be forgotten, I will be forgotten by God so that they will be known by God, right? So that the people who are not God's uh, family can be made God's family. Because when Christ comes and he fulfills his promises to us, God takes nobodies like us and makes them somebodies in the family of God because of this great reversal, this great upside-downness of the gospel where Jesus comes in and takes our place so that we can be made children of God, so that we can become a part of the family of God, so that when God says, I'm going to fulfill my promises we know that all of our joy comes from looking to who God is rather than anything that we bring to the table. Right? We, we, we don't know how to do this. We don't have it all together. We uh, don't know how to run our lives. But when it comes to Christmas, we are seeing, if, again, I think, I hope, we are seeing that God is the one who fulfills his promises. God is the one who comes in and says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it on my own terms. But you're the one who's going to be uh, renewed and restored and made clean and whole, which should give us joy because we're looking to somebody, we're looking to God who, does, who fulfills his promises for us, not because we deserve it, because of who he is, because he loves to heal and restore. True joy comes from trusting this promise-keeping savior. And I hope that this Christmas, as we look at these songs together, that we will find in Jesus joy new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for these, this story about Mary. And God for all of my efforts to look at this passage with your people. Uh, we need you because your spirit... Um, We need your spirit to teach us and to help us. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to trust Jesus and to find true joy in trusting our promise-keeping Savior. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission.